today we're starting a new series that I'm excited about, um, and we're going to be looking at gifts. Um, and years past, I think a couple years ago, I did a, a sermon series at Christmas time on gifts, and we talked about the best gifts, the gifts that God gives. Uh, but this year, we're taking a little bit of a different look at some things. How many of you have ever gotten a bad gift before? Has anybody ever gotten a gift that you just thought, man, this is a bad gift? A lot of you. You're a lot more honest than the 930 service. The 930 service is a bunch of liars. Like four people raise their hands. Like, come on, you people. We've all gotten bad gifts. We've all gotten things that we thought, this person didn't think about this gift at all, right? Like they got me something and they didn't even care what they got me. Um, and so a few weeks ago, I asked on Facebook, uh, I said, hey, have, has anybody ever gotten a bad gift before? If so, I wanna hear about it. And I got several responses. I wanna re read a few of those to you today. And some of you are sitting in the room and you're thinking, oh no, don't read mine. Um, you shouldn't have posted it on Facebook. I won't read last names, but I might read your name and your spouse's name. So <laughs> the first one is, uh, that I'm gonna read to you is from Marie. I love Marie. Um, she said this, she said, for her first Christmas together, Dawn wanted to buy me a dustbuster. Now, I just wanna say there's some foreshadowing this is our first Christmas together, so it means there's probably more Christmases, so that's the good thing. It turned out okay. It goes on to say, of course, I read him the riot act and told him, and then this is quotes, and it's all uppercase as she's typing this, so you can imagine she's hollering, never buy me anything having to do with cleaning unless I ask you for it. <laughs> it says, needless to say, 27 years later, I've never received another dustbuster before. So, that's good. Uh, Don and Marie are available for counseling. If you need counseling, they can help you. Uh, there was another one from a lady in the church. I will not read her name. This one said, I think lottery tickets for my husband were the worst. Um, now, if I'd have won big, I might not be saying this. There was no thought put into it at all. And I, I'll disagree. I think there was some thought put into it. I think the thought was, I'm gonna buy my wife lotto tickets, and if she hits the lotto, um, even if we divorce, I get half of $400 million. So <laughs> that was the thought probably. And then I think my favorite that I read was uh, from Michelle. Um, Michelle's been part of our church a long time. She's part of the worship team, but she said this. She said, uh, so again, the question was, what was the worst Christmas gift you ever received? And she responded and she said, a 38 revolver. <laughs> Although my husband's heart was in the right place, he wanted me to be able to protect my family when we were away, or when he was away. Not appropriate for Christmas. And I responded back to her on Facebook and I said, I, th I think you're wrong. I think it is appropriate for Christmas. What better way to celebrate the birth and life of our Savior than by giving a gift that could end the life of an intruder? I think it's perfect, right? <laughs> Especially in Western Pennsylvania, here we are. Uh, we, we have enough gun owners in the room, we could occupy Paris probably among just our church. So, uh, yeah. Of course a guy is gonna buy his wife a 38 revolver for Christmas. Um, but we've all gotten gifts that we thought, man, they didn't think about that gift. They weren't thinking about me. There was no thought put into it. And sometimes it's just a bad gift. Um, usually it's not an intentionally bad gift, but we've all gotten gifts before that were bad, just thoughtless. And, and 
you might have been to a white elephant gift exchange. Has anybody ever been to a white elephant gift exchange before? Okay, a few of you have. A white elephant gift exchange, the point is to bring a bad gift. Now, you know what it is. You're, it's a white elephant gift exchange, so they're gonna be bad gifts. You don't bring an iPod to a white elephant gift exchange. You bring a junky gift. You, so you might bring a brick, or you might bring um, a, a mason jar of bath water. That is a great white elephant gift, right? So those are the kind of gifts you get at White Elephant because you know it's gonna be fun and funny and you just have a good time. Those are bad gifts though. Uh, but that all originated way back uh, with the King of Siam back in Thailand. The King of Siam would give an extravagant gift, a white elephant, and the very rare white albino elephant to people in his court. People uh, that had displeased him. And you think, well, why would he give an extravagant gift of an albino elephant to somebody who displeased him? And the reason was that as he gave the gift and they received it, they'd have to maintain and care for that elephant until the elephant died. And as a result, it would usually ruin the people's family. They would bankrupt the family as they tried to care for that elephant. So the king of Siam would give a gift that he knew would cause pain and ultimately ruin the people he was giving the gift to. And too many times we give gifts in our lives that maybe aren't the best gifts, but if we're gonna be honest, there are times in our lives that we give gifts that are hurtful or painful or ultimately might ruin somebody's life. We're not too different than the king of Siam. We give gifts that are detrimental to the person we're giving the gift to. And that's what we're gonna look at over the next few weeks. We're gonna look at the gifts that no one wants. So that's why we called the series White Elephant, the gift no one wants. Because too many times in our lives, we give gifts to people that they really don't want, they really don't need, and ultimately is gonna cause them pain and might even ruin their lives. And so today we're gonna look at the first gift that we're gonna look at over the next few weeks, and today we're gonna look at the gift of drama. <laughs> Did you hear the moans in the room? Like, oh gosh. Honey, get your purse, we're going now. As soon as he prays, we're leaving, okay? Nobody, nobody likes drama, we're gonna talk about that in a moment, but if we're gonna be honest, um, drama is a part of our lives. We all experience it at some point or another. Um, and the question would be, what is drama? How do you define drama? I think all of us know it when we see it, but sometimes it's hard to define. And I would say, I would say simply, it's taking a situation that's a two and turning it into a nine. Now in Oklahoma, we used to say it's turning a molehill into a mountain. Has anybody ever heard that before? And, and that's what happens. We take a, a little situation that's not really that big a deal or that big a problem, and we make a big deal out of it. I love my daughters. I didn't warn them that I was gonna tell a story about them, but uh, a couple days ago, my daughter burst in my room, um, I think it was Friday morning, Saturday morning, I don't remember what day it was now, and she burst in my room, she said, Daddy, the dog is throwing up on my bed, and that's not a good thing, does anybody know that? That's not a good thing. So, oh, so I go in her room, and she's upset, and when I get in there, I realize um, there, it's about the size of a quarter, like a, one little spot on the bed, I was like, oh no, what do we do? And I was like, whoop, oh, we did it. We fixed the problem. And it was like, what just happened? Well, we took a two and turned it into a nine. Now think about your life. Think about your workplace. Think about your family. We just came through Thanksgiving, right? We're going into Christmas. Think about the different situations. Aren't there people in your life that are, have the gift of turning a two into a nine? That they know how to take a, a small thing and turn it into a big thing? 
And this happens in families all the time. I think it happens in families because it's easy to take our families for granted, isn't it? It's easy to, to say, well, I can treat my family a little worse because they're my family and they've gotta forgive me. Right. I, I, can, I can fly off the handle a little bit. I can respond negatively. They're gonna have to forgive me because I'm their dad. I'm there gonna have to forgive me because I'm the mom, whatever it is. So it's easy to do that in family situations. Um, a few years ago, I was in a, at a family gathering. It was leading up to, um, to, to, <laughs> to the year 2000. Does anybody remember Y2K? Anybody remember that? Like, hey, you all survived it. That's shocking. That's, I'm, I'm, thank God we made it, right? Like, whoo, just barely. We all had 55-gallon drums of pinto beans in our basement, and we thought the world, end of the world was coming. So Y2K was coming up, and I'm at this family gathering, and um, this man in my family and this woman in my family started having this conversation. And the conversation revolved around, is 2000 the beginning of the new millennium or the end of the old millennium? And the conversation escalated quickly. And all of a sudden, before you know it, like it was getting heated. And it, this was not just a discussion like, you know what, I'm not really sure. And this is just so you know, this makes me sound old, but this predates uh, Google and Siri. So. Uh, Today, if we had that conversation, we'd go, well, let me Google it. And we'd Google it and go, oh, here's the answer. But then there was no Google. So you just argued. And whoever was the loudest won, right? So this, this, argue, this, this heated discussion begins. And before you know it, we're all sitting there. The, all the family's a little bit uncomfortable. And, uh, and you know what I wanted to say? Who cares? <laughs> what difference does it make if it's the beginning of the new millennium or the end of the old millennium? It's not that big a deal. But what did we do? We took a two and turned it into a nine, right? They brought the gift of drama to that situation. And people are adept at that. We're good at bringing drama to a situation if we're not careful. It happens often. And in fact, it's not just your family. There's another family you might have heard of that, that knew how to get involved in drama. There was drama at the birth of Christ. Did you know that? Think about this. We love to sanitize the Bible and make it all clean and nice. And we go, oh, Noah, and we paint little scenes in kids' bedrooms. It's like Noah and the ark, but what we don't paint in the scene in the bedroom is the millions of people that died in the flood, right? Like, we sanitize it. Um, that's not really something we probably need to put in babies' nurseries, but we do anyway. And what do we do? We sanitize the story of Jesus, don't we? We go, oh, Mary, she's, she's pregnant, and oh, it's so sweet, and look at this, and oh, she has her baby, and Jesus, and the light shines down, and the angels, and think about it a little more. This is a girl, a young girl. She was unmarried and she was pregnant. And her story was, God got me pregnant. Now, I'm not trying to be blasphemous, but let's be honest. If somebody walked into your house at Christmas and they were showing and you're like, oh, I had no idea you were pregnant. And you're like, yeah, God got me pregnant. Wouldn't you be a little skeptical you probably would, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you be going, okay, come on, let's be real. There's no way God did that. Wouldn't there be some drama around that situation? How do you think Mary's mom and dad felt about that situation? How do you think Mary's neighbors responded to that situation? There was drama. It happens in all of our lives. But the truth is, none of us like it. Even the people who give the gift of drama don't really like drama. The psalmist said it like this in Psalm 120, verse six. He said, too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. 
He said, I've been living with these people who are fighting and bickering and there's drama all around me and I've lived this way too long. He hated drama. Galatians 5 gives a word of warning for those who give the gift of drama. It says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Jesus said it another way in Matthew chapter 26. He says, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. So what this is saying is, if you like to give the gift of drama, guess what? You're probably gonna be re-gifted the gift of drama someday. It's gonna come back to you whether you realize it or not. And then people are mystified why they have drama in their lives. Well, I don't understand it, I don't get it. It's because that's what you are giving away all around you. James chapter four, is it, I love the book of James. We covered it this summer. If you weren't around or you missed some of it, uh, you can go back because I went a little more in depth in James chapter four, verse one. We're, we're gonna read that verse together, but I went a little more depth um, back this summer in the month of August you can go back and listen to it there if you like. But in James 4, 1, it says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So, so what causes fights and quarrels? It's that our passions are at war within us. Now, the word passions today means something a little different than it did here because we, we see something, well, we're just passionate, we're excited, we're enthusiastic, and those are all good things. But this word passion in, in the Greek comes from a, a this word hedone, and the word hedone means selfish desires. So what Paul is saying is what causes fights and quarrels among you? Isn't it that your selfish desires are at war within you? There's this conflict within you that your selfish desires are at war with. And you're like, well, what are they at war with? Well, it's at war with the spirit of God that's in you. So when we receive Christ, Christ comes alive in us. Christ fills us and gives us a desire to do what he wants us to do. But then our selfishness, our flesh, is at war with the spirit of God in us. So there's this battle raging within us. And this is what I, I said back in August, this is what I'll repeat to you today. Conflict within us leads to conflict between us. So when there's a conflict in me, if it's not submitted to Christ, if I don't give it to God, then what happens is that conflict spills over into the relationships around me. So this selfish desire within me, if it's not submitted to Christ, spills out into my relationships around me. And this is what you have to understand. That is drama. When we have conflict around us, that is drama. We are giving the gift of drama to those that are around us. Now think about the people who are most dramatic in your life, the people who have the most drama in your life. I'll say this, something they have in common is immaturity. Either they're emotionally immature or they're physically immature. Kids can be dramatic, can't they? Oh, they can be so dramatic. Why? Because, well, they're selfish, they're immature, they're kids, right? Babies, those babies are so selfish. Don't you get sick of them crying all the time? I'm hungry, feed me. Uh, I got a dirty diaper, change me. They're screaming. Come on, you give them grace because they're babies, right? They can't do any better than that. Do you know what drives me crazy? Is when adults do that. But do you know what? Adults do that. They're emotionally immature and they start crying and complaining, screaming. I want what I want. I don't have a lot of grace for adults to do that. When a baby does that, oh yeah, babies are supposed to do that. But at some point we're supposed to mature, right? But adults do that all the time. I said this yesterday, maybe this will get me into trouble, but 
spiritual maturity has nothing to do with how many years you've been alive on planet Earth. Nothing. Because I promise you, there are elderly people that are less spiritually mature than some of the kids in Josh's youth ministry. Absolutely, without a doubt in my mind. There are people that are way beyond the age that they should be doing this, that, that emotionally they will cry and complain and throw a fit about stupid things because they're just being selfish. So what do we see? Well, immaturity and, and these selfish passions are connected. If you don't believe it, let me read this next passage to you. This is from 2 Timothy chapter two, and Paul is writing to Timothy to share this with the church that he is leading and the people he's leading. And this is what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verse 22. He says, so flee youthful passions, and this word passions is the same one we saw earlier, hedone. Flee youthful passions, and so run away from selfish immaturity, and pursue righteousness. So turn from one and pursue the other. So he says, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, and know that they breed quarrels. So he's saying, if, if you're gonna be a mature Christian, what you have to do is run away from immature selfishness and run toward the righteousness of God. Pursue God's righteousness. He says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies because they breed quarrels. What is he saying? He's saying that conflict within us, the selfish desires within us lead to conflict between us. That, that drama spills out of us as we live selfish, uh, selfishly. But listen to this, and he said, and the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but instead of being quarrelsome, we are kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents. And you go, yes, I love correcting my opponents. Then it says, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Now, why would we do that? You go, I don't wanna correct my opponents with gentleness. I wanna crush them on Facebook, right? I wanna let them know who's boss. I wanna let them know that I'm right. No, we do that. So that we read this next, this next passage, it says, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of evil, uh, from the devil, after being captured by him to do his will. So why do we show kindness? Why do we uh, correct with gentleness? It's so that they might come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I've never argued anyone to salvation before. I've never been like, and that's why you need to get saved. And they go, fine, I'll get saved. You win, right? It's never happened. Do you know why? Because that's not how we're wired. I've loved plenty of people to salvation though. I've shown kindness to people. Their hearts have been opened. It's led to salvation. So Paul is trying to help us see there's something that's way more important than winning an argument. There's something way more important than being right. There's something way more important than, than being in conflict about stupid junk that doesn't even matter. It's people's souls. See, this is, this is a side note, bonus coverage. This is where churches get into trouble, honestly. 
So we have fights over stupid stuff that doesn't matter and it sidetracks us from the big picture of winning people for Jesus Christ and helping people grow in their faith and seeing people made different for his glory. This is where churches get hung up over something that doesn't matter. We talked about it a few weeks ago, preferences versus principles. We get hung up on things that are just preferences all the time as church across the United States. And it derails us from the purpose that God has for us and that's seeing people change for his glory. What we do is we turn a two into a nine and then we focus on that. God goes, no, 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 no. There are real nines that you need to take care of instead of focusing on twos. So how do we pursue righteousness? It says you flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. So what does that mean? What does that look like? In James chapter three, verse 18, it says this, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So what does that mean? Well, it means we understand the principle of you reap what you sow. You, you, you put something in the ground, you put a seed in the ground, and you'll reap a harvest of some kind from that seed. And what Paul is saying here, I mean, I'm sorry, what James is saying here is that we, we sow peace into the ground, right? We put peace into the ground, we, we sow it, we plant it, and then the harvest we get from that is righteousness, so if we were to pursue righteousness in our life, what we have to do is focus on peace instead of drama. If we're gonna be mature in our faith as we see here that we're supposed to, what do we have to do? We have to pursue peace instead of drama. And how do we do that? Well, we need God's help, to be quite frank with you. We can't do it on our own, can we? See, the word peace, and I've talked about this a lot, but I love I love this word. In the Hebrew, the word peace means, it's shalom is what it way you say it, but the word shalom in the Hebrew, it's not just the state of lack of conflict because a lot of times uh, we, think of, we think of peace like the dad sitting in the living room, he's had a long day at work and he sits down in his favorite chair and the kids are fighting and the TV's on and things are going nuts and he, and he finally just goes, can I please have some peace and quiet? What's the dad talking about? The dad is talking about, can, can, please stop the fighting, just stop the noise, right? And that's what we think of as peace sometimes, but that's not really what peace is. That's not what shalom is all about. Shalom is more about a state of well-being. It really is, has more to do with us being complete or whole. Another way to say it is lacking nothing. And so when we look at this, we see that it's, it's not just about no conflict, but it's about making peace with ourselves. It's about making peace with others. It's about understanding who we are in Christ. So how do we have that righteousness? How do we pursue righteousness and maturity in Christ? It's by pursuing peace and by pursuing wholeness in him. The apostle Paul wrote to Titus uh, in Titus chapter three. Um, this was a passage of scripture that, um, I mean, I'll just be honest with you. When I read it, it was a punch in the gut for me. Um, you ever read scriptures like that? And you're like, oh my gosh, like I'm a horrible Christian. I can't even believe that I'm you know, even allowed to live after I read something like this. But this is one that was such a heavy passage. I wanna share it with you. In Titus 3, 1, it says this. Um, Paul says to Titus to tell his people, it says, remind them to be submissive to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to speak evil of no one, I just wanna make sure you understood that part, to speak evil of no one. <laughs> to avoid quarreling, 
to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. That's a bold, I mean, that's a tall order, isn't it? That's hard. I'm a, I'm a pastor, I get paid to be a pastor at a church, and that's not easy for me. That's hard. And he goes on to say in verse three, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. And again, the word passions is selfish desires that he donate. He goes on to say, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Now, if that doesn't paint a picture of drama, I don't know what does. That's, that is our condition before Christ. That's who we are. We pass our days with selfish desires, with malice, with envy. We're, we're hated by others and we hate others. We don't even have the capacity to love until we know the love of Christ. That's, that's who we are. And then I love this next part in verse four and it says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. When the goodness and loving kindness of God showed up on the scene, he saved us. He, he rescued us from our drama. He rescued us from the mess we were. Because let's be honest, we're all a mess. He rescued us from that. Let's skip down just a couple verses. And it says this in verse eight. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. So those who are mature and growing in their faith, devoted to God, are focused on doing the work of God. And it says this, these things are excellent and profitable for people. So the work of God and walking in the, the, the will of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God, all those things help us build up and bless the body and the people around us. But listen to this, verse nine says, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Avoid foolish controversies. You can define what that is. You know what that is. I don't have to tell you what foolish controversies are. It says avoid those things. Genealogies. Why would it include genealogies? And one of the reasons is in, um, in ancient Israel, even to some degree today, um, who, your, who your ancestors were were a really big deal. It was a big deal. It mattered. It was almost like a resume that you could tell, well, here's who my father was, here's who my grandfather was, my great-great-grandfather, here's who my ancestors were, and the more important your ancestors were, the more important you were. And what this did was it caused division even among believers because of who their ancestors were. And I'd love to say we don't care about those things today, but don't we care about those things today? All across the United States, aren't there people who care what kind of background you came from, how much money you came from, what race you are, and you know what Paul says about that? To Titus, he says, forget about that junk. It doesn't matter. Do you think God cares who your dad is? How, how important he may be? Or how much of a scoundrel he may be? God doesn't care about that stuff. Why should you care about it? If God doesn't care about it, why do we care about it? But we do. It's easy to look at what somebody drives, where they live, and automatically assign value to them. And, and Paul says, none of that stuff matters. Why are you fighting about it? Why are you making it matter? Why are you taking a two and turning it into a nine? Dissensions, quarrels about the law. This is, this is talking about scripture. They are fighting about scripture. <laughs> there are things in scripture we need to fight about, to be honest with you. 
There are things that, that I will fight for. But the Bible is inerrant. That is the perfect will of, of word of God. I will fight for that. That Jesus is the only way to heaven, I will fight for that. There's a whole bunch of stuff I won't fight about. <laughs> Honestly, I don't, I don't know, and I don't know that I really care that much. I have people all the time ask me about end time events. I don't know how it's gonna turn out. I hope that doesn't scare you that your pastor doesn't know how the end time events are gonna turn out. But do you, can I tell you something? Jesus said, I don't know the day or the hour. And if Jesus doesn't know, how am I supposed to know? So we can have our ideas and our theories if we want, but I'm not fighting about that. If you think it's pre-trib and they think it's post-trib, I don't care. We'll figure it out. This is what I know. I'm gonna do my best to serve God and to love God and to be ready whenever Jesus comes back for his church, whenever that might be. <laughs> so I'm not gonna fight about it though. But churches fight about stuff like that. I'm not gonna do it. So Paul is telling Titus, don't fight about that kind of stuff. And he says, because it's unprofitable and worthless. Then he goes on in verse 10. This is, this is heavy. It says, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Now, this is talking specifically about the church. It's saying in the church, in the church family, if somebody is stirring up dissension in the body, you try to correct them, you try to help them, and then when they don't, they don't do better, they don't do better, you cut them off. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't sound fair. That doesn't sound right. But this is what Paul is saying. If you wanna maintain health in a body, you have to cut out the cancer. I know that's hard, and you're like, this is not the Christmas message I expected to hear today, right? But this is what the gift of drama does. It causes problems and conflict and stirs things up that shouldn't be stirred up. And what Paul is saying is that we avoid the gift of drama at all costs. We avoid it. We walk away from it. We don't have anything to do with it. But that doesn't mean that we don't confront it gently and in love. And when drama comes our way, we don't just put our head in the sand. We avoid giving the gift of drama. We avoid receiving the gift of drama. But when that gift of drama comes our way, we will confront it gently and in love. This is what you have to understand too. If you're the person who says, I don't wanna cause any more drama, so I'm just gonna listen to the drama as it comes my way. And again, this is good for your workplace, for the church, for your family, whatever it is. If you listen and receive, if you're a receptacle for drama, then the person who is giving you that gift thinks that you agree with them. They're being affirmed, because they go, well, you know what, if they disagreed, they'd say something. So this is what I think, and did you know so-and-so is doing this, and I can't believe they'd even do that. Can you believe they're acting that way? And you just stand there, that you are agreeing with them by default. And this is what that means, you are part of the drama. So we confront gently and in love. Proverbs 16, seven says this, I love this. It says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. When we focus on just pursuing God and loving God well and submitting our whole lives to him, he does something incredible. We see promises like this over and over in scripture where in Psalms it says, the steps of the righteous are ordered by God. That God directs our path, he makes our path straight. 
and he, he causes even our enemies to be at peace with us. There's something powerful about that. We, I don't have to worry about drama when I'm focused on pursuing Christ, when I'm focused on making him the center of my world. There's a passage I wanna read to you in John chapter 14. This is Jesus talking, and usually I, I use the English Standard Version of the Bible, but for this I wanna read from the New Living Translation. It says this in John 14, 27. This is Jesus, he's leaving, he's preparing his disciples for him to be gone. He says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. He says, I'm leaving you with a gift. It's peace of mind and peace of heart. It's interesting because he doesn't say, this is a gift the world won't give, but he said it's a gift the world cannot give. He says, the gift of peace is a gift the world is incapable of giving to you. Peace and security are closely related. Um, when I feel secure, when I feel like I have enough money, uh, I feel at peace with my finances, right? When I feel like my marriage is in a healthy place, I feel secure and I'm at peace in my marriage. Um, when my job is going well uh, and things are good, I feel like it is enough, I am, all those things, I feel secure, I feel at peace. Does that make sense? But lack is directly in conflict with security. So if I feel like I don't have enough money, I, I, I'm not gonna be able to pay my bills. It creates insecurity in me. It creates a sense of, of uh, disruption. It feels like I don't have any peace because I don't have enough money to pay my bills. Are you, are you tracking with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? So what Jesus says is too many people, too many Christians are trying to find the gift of peace in the world. We're trying to find peace through getting enough. See, there's a lack in us. Maybe it's a lack of money. Maybe it's a lack of um, prestige. Maybe it's a lack of standing in our workplace that if I could just go a little higher on the totem pole, move up to the corner office, then I would be in a place I'd feel better. In my marriage, I feel like, man, maybe I'm not enough. Maybe I'm not enough as a, of a dad or a husband, and, and I feel insecure in who I am. And we try to just do better. Maybe if I just read another self-help book. Maybe if I just work a little harder, I'll get more hours and I'll move up or get more money and then that insecurity will be gone. But this is what Jesus says. He says, the gift I'm giving to you, peace and security, it can't come from the world. There's nothing you can do physically to give yourself that gift. The world is incapable of giving that gift. He says, I'm the one who gives the gift of peace. See, what we see is the world says, hey, I got something for you. Oh, it's great, you're gonna love it. It's everything you need. And we go, okay, that's great. But what we're really receiving is not peace, but it's insecurity. And that insecurity within us causes those selfish ambitions and desires to be stirred up. And before you know it, we're giving the gift of drama. We've received the gift of drama and we are giving it out. See what Jesus says is, I'm giving you the gift of peace. The gift of peace says, you are enough. You don't have to strive. You're everything you need to be in Christ. He says you have enough. Yeah, you might feel like your bank account's a little low, but you know what? You don't have to strive. Jesus is enough for you. He can supply every one of your needs, take care of it for you. And he says you will be enough. You don't have to try to fix yourself. 
You don't have to try to make yourself right. He's the one who fixes you. He's the one who fixes me. There's security in Christ. See, the world says you're not enough. You don't have enough. You need more. Accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. Jesus gives the gift of peace. Not only does he give us the gift of peace, we receive that. But then he goes on in Matthew chapter five in the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. So what we're called to do is not just receive this gift of peace, this gift of wholeness and completion and a lack of nothing, but we're instructed to give that as well. So we receive that gift of peace and then we make peace, not just squelch conflict, but what we do is we actually help people see that they lack nothing as well. We help people see that they've received the gift of peace as well, that there's a gift for them that helps them see that they are enough, they have enough, and they will be enough in Christ Jesus. See, it's not just enough to be in no conflict and have no drama. It's our responsibility to counteract that. It's not not just enough to say, hey, I'm gonna give you a gift, but this isn't the gift I'm gonna give you. We have to give the gift of peace as well. So this this is what we have to understand today. You have a choice not just during this holiday season with your family and all those kind of things at Christmas, but in our lives, we have a choice to make. We can either say, hey, I'm gonna give you the gift of drama. I'm gonna let my selfish desires and my ambitions and the things I want spill out into conflict between us. So here you go. Or we can choose to give the gift that Christ gave us, the gift of peace. It's a gift the world cannot give. So the choice is yours today. What will it be? Are you gonna give the white elephant, or are you gonna give the real gift that Christ wants you to give? Let's pray together. Lord, I love you so much, and I'm so grateful that you give the best gifts to us. And God, I pray right now for those that are here today that are struggling, maybe they have um, lived a life full of drama. Maybe they've been giving that gift of drama out all around them, God. God, I pray that you help them see there's no condemnation. But Lord, today there's a better way. Lord, I pray today you would help us all receive the gift of peace. Help us to walk and live in that peace. And Lord, not only that, but God, let us be dispensers of peace as well. Help us to see, uh, help us to help pe- people see who they are in you. And God, I pray that you'd empower us to help them see that they are enough, they have enough, and they will be enough. And God, I pray that it would change our world and change our families change our workplaces. So God, have your way among us. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you've never really received that gift of peace from Christ, you've never really accepted him as Lord and Savior, but today you say, no, I want to. I wanna make that decision today. I wanna begin right now. I'm not gonna embarrass you or bring you forward or anything like that. I just wanna ask you to do something bold. I want you to raise your hand with nobody looking around and I'll acknowledge you and you can put your hand down. I just wanna pray with you. So if that's you today and you say, Mel, I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life, would you just slip your hand up? Thank you, over here on my right. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am, on my right. I see you, you can put your hand down. Thank you, back in, by the cameras, thank you. Who else would say, that's me, pray for me. I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life today. I wanna receive that gift of peace. I know the world can't give it. Thank you, over here on my left. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Back in the center section. I see you back there. You can put your hand down. Praise God. Just a few.
few more seconds. Anyone else? Okay. With nobody looking around, I want everybody to pray this prayer out loud, whether you raised your hand or not. Pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. And thank you for paying the price for my sin on the cross. Today, I give you my life. Use it for your glory. Thank you for giving me the gift of peace in my mind and in my heart. I am yours today. Help me not give the gift of drama and conflict and selfishness, but let me live my life for your glory. I'm never turning back to my old ways. I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we give God a round of applause today? Thank you, Lord. Now listen, if you're here today and you responded, even if you didn't raise your hand, if you prayed that prayer and meant it, I wanna help you take the next step. I wanna help you grow in your faith. Um, and so one of the things we do is, is we ask you to be bold enough to fill this card out. There's a card like this in the seat back in front of you. Take a moment, fill this out, and then drop it in the offering box as you leave today. We wanna help you take the next step in your faith journey, help grow as a disciple and become everything that God wants you to become. If you're here in this room and you're a little uncomfortable filling the card out, I get it. Um, if you're sitting here though and you'd like to respond differently or if you're watching online, uh, this is what you can do. You can take out your mobile device or your cell phone and simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. So text the word salvation, S-A-L-V-A-T-I-O-N to 555-888. When you do that, we'll respond back to you. Well, we wanna resource you and we wanna help you take the next step in your faith journey. So again, guys, thank you for making that decision. Our prayer team is gonna be available as we sing this final song on either side of the stage. If you need prayer today, if you need help taking the next step, if you're here today and you say, Mel, I'm nervous about family, uh, Christmas, and there's gonna be some drama, I need to help quell and bring peace instead. If that's you, come find one of our prayer team members. If you're here today and you just need a physical healing in your body, you're struggling, we wanna help you with that. We wanna pray with you. We believe God can heal and God can restore. So come find one of our prayer team members as we begin to sing this last song. And then in just a moment, as we finish the song, Pastor Steve is gonna come and he's gonna dismiss us. So thank you for being here. Stand your feet all over the room. We're gonna worship together one more time before we're dismissed. Guys, I tell you this often, but I love you more than you know. And I'm so honored that I get to be your pastor. God bless you and have a wonderful day.